It's good to see you tonight. Pastor Josh asked if I would step in tonight and uh, conclude our series on Outward Life on Mission, and I was more than excited about the opportunity to do that. So that's why I'm here tonight, and he is not. Uh, but I hope that you're excited about being here. If you did not pick up one of these handouts on the way in, let me tell you, please get up and go get one right now. You're going to need this tonight. Not simply to take notes, but we're going to reference this several times during the course of our time together tonight. So please go ahead and get one of those and uh, have that with you as we go through our teaching time uh, this evening. I just love the opportunity to come and teach on what God's doing in regard to missions at Prince Avenue. And tonight, as we're wrapping up this section on Outward Life on Mission, uh, we want to kind of bring things home a little bit. Uh, so we kind of talked about the big picture. David Shiver started our Outward Life on Mission section out a few weeks ago, talking about the, the goal of missions is the glory and praise of King Jesus. And we see that picture revealed in Revelation chapter 7, don't we? As the gathered from all nations, tribes, and languages are around the throne of Jesus, and they're just giving praise to him all the time. And that's the goal of missions, is the glory of God, the praise and the worship of King Jesus from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And then we talked about the means by which we continue the mission. And Josh took us to the book of Acts whereby we saw that a Holy Spirit-filled church is a church that's on mission. And tonight we're going to talk a little bit more about that, but that's the means by which we fulfill the mission, is through the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then last week, we talked about the way that we continue the mission personally is as we display and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we have that privilege and responsibility as we live our lives in our communities, at work, uh, among our family members, in our neighborhoods, wherever we are, to declare and display the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, tonight I want to take us a step further, and I want us to consider the role that God has for us here at Prince Avenue Baptist Church. As we talk about missions at Prince, what does that look like? What is God doing through Prince Avenue Baptist Church? Um, many of you are new to our church, and so you may not know the, the rich history of what God has done in the area of missions. So let me just take a few moments to tell you a little bit about it and just why I'm so thrilled to be a part of what God's doing here at Prince. Over the last 25 years, Prince Avenue Baptist Church has given tens of millions of dollars to God's global mission. That's unbelievable when you stop and think about that, that over the last just couple of decades, tens of millions of dollars have left this campus and gone out to the mission field through missionaries that we support, through churches that we plant, uh, through missions organizations that we give to. That's really amazing. Not only that, we have literally sent hundreds of missionaries from Prince Avenue Baptist Church. We kind of have, have a saying around here, and we've said it for a long time, that the sun never sets on the ministries of Prince Avenue Baptist Church. We have people serving in Asia, people serving in Europe, people serving in Africa and North America, and you'll see some of those on your list, and we'll talk a little bit more about them in just a little bit. But we've sent hundreds of people. 
We've helped plant several churches in the United States and around the world. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. And then we regularly serve and share through local ministry opportunities on a regular basis. In fact, we had the opportunity just this past Friday to feed over 100 healthcare workers at Piedmont Hospital, just to love on them, to say thank you for your sacrifice, thank you for the work that you're doing, uh, being on the front lines. That was such a blessing. You've been a part of that as a church family. So I'm just thrilled by what God is, has done at Prince and what God continues to do. But let me be clear about something. As awesome as those things are, missions is not simply about money, our projects, our partnerships. Missions is about people. In fact, if you're taking notes, write this down. People are the mission. Very simply put, people are the mission. God cares about people. And so he sent his son to rescue people from their sins and bring them into eternal relationship with himself. And so we need to make sure that we're not just simply looking at missions as all of these great opportunities to plant churches and go on mission trips and serve in uh, our community. It's really all about people. God cares about people. Um, Proverbs 24, 11 says, rescue those who are being led away to death, hold back those staggering toward the slaughter. And, and I believe that the scripture gives us that picture because we need to see missions that way. That missions really is a rescue mission. We want people to be in a right relationship with God. We want people to give the glory to God and the worship to God that he alone is due. But we want them to be rescued from their sin and from death and from hell. Don't we? I hope we do. Um, I was reading a quote by a man his name is Smul Ziegelboom, okay? You're gonna see his name on the screen in just a moment. He was a Polish politician um, in World War II, and he was deeply burdened by the fact that there was a systemic uh, or systematic uh, murder of some three million Jews in Poland. In fact, I had the opportunity a number of years ago to visit Auschwitz and Birkenau in Poland. And it's really just a, a sobering place to visit because you realize that in that very camp in Poland, over a million people were exterminated. I mean, just let that settle in. Well, Smul Ziegenbaum was so burdened about the fact that some 3 million of his kinsmen were being murdered in Poland. He wrote this uh, letter to the prime minister of Poland just before his death. And this is what he said, it's on the screen. He said, the responsibility for the crime of the murder of the whole Jewish nationality in Poland rests, first of all, on those who are carrying it out. But indirectly, it falls upon the whole of humanity, on the peoples of the allied nations, and on their governments, who up to this day have not taken any real steps to halt this crime. By looking on passively, upon this murder of defenseless millions of tortured children, women, and men, they have become partners to this responsibility. Now, I'm not sharing that quote as some guilt motivation. I'm simply saying, like, we can't be passive in the mission of God. Like, God established his church 
to be on mission, to take the good news of Jesus to those that are perishing all around the planet. And we can't be passive in that endeavor. In fact, I believe that God needs to wake us up. And one of the things that happens when God wakes us up and we experience personal revival is that we begin to get a burden for the things that God has a burden for. And one of the things that God has a deep burden for are the souls of people. God really cares about what happens to people and we need to care as well. So I want you to understand there's a seriousness to this. There's an urgency to this. But if we're gonna live with this seriousness and it's urgency, we need to have a right understanding of the mission of God. So I wanna invite you to go to Acts chapter one. Acts chapter one. And I'm gonna share with us tonight a familiar text, but it really does just kind of lay out for us very simply the mission of God and how we're to be engaged in it. Not, not just uh, as the church universal, but the church here at Prince Avenue Baptist Church. So God's given us this mission and this is the mission of Prince Avenue Baptist Church. So let's look at verses six and we'll read through verse 11. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them with white robes and said, men of Galilee, why are you standing looking into heaven? This Jesus that was taken up from uh, you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. So we understand this is the great commission, right? Uh, Josh said it last week, there are four great commissions in the gospels. And then we have the fifth great commission given to us in the book of Acts. And in every case, Jesus is giving this commission to his church, to his disciples before he ascends back into heaven. So you could argue that these are really the final words of Jesus. Now think about it for a second. If someone were you, that you loved were dying, and they called you in and they said, listen, there was one last thing that I want to share with you before I die. Don't you think that you would kind of lean in a little closer? Don't, don't you think that you would want to really not miss what they were about to tell you? I know I would. And so here's this moment that Jesus is getting ready to leave his disciples physically. He's going to send his Holy Spirit. He's going to be with them with the Holy Spirit, but he's physically leaving them. But he wants them to understand, I'm giving you a responsibility. I'm giving you a job to fulfill. And so he lays out to them the great commission. So what is it that Jesus wants us to understand about our mission? Let me give you three things tonight. And these things are on your note sheet there, but I'm gonna unpack them a little bit further. The first is the mindset of the mission. So what comes to your mind when you think about missionaries? I mean, I think for some people, you kind of see them as like the Navy SEALs of the Christian faith, right? These are the ones that are, they're hardcore. I mean, they're, they're going to the hard places, right? They're going where persecution exists. They're, 
living in huts, you know, in Africa. They're, they're just doing the hard thing that most of us really don't want to do. I think some of us have that kind of misconception about missionaries or they're, they're just really theologically savvy. Like they know how to share the gospel way more effectively than I do. Um, or uh, in some cases, and this is really true with me, we kind of see them as a little bit odd, maybe, you know, a little different. I, I can remember as a teenager um, going to a missions conference at my church. And this is back in the eighties, you know, when the missionary would come and they would actually show slides. Do you remember what those were? You know, slides and a little slide projector. That, and, and the missionary would come and he would kind of dress up like he was in an African village or, you know, a Filipino um, village or something like that. And I just remember thinking, why do you have to dress like that? You're kind of, it's kind of weird. You know what I'm saying? And that was kind of a conception that I had of missionaries. Um, we all have preconceived ideas about missions and missionaries. And certainly Jesus' disciples did as well. So Jesus, again, get this picture in Acts chapter one. He's got his disciples gathered around him. He's getting ready to leave them and ascend to the father. And he's giving them his final words, but they miss the point. Look back at verse six with me for just a moment. So gather together, Jesus said, I'm gonna give you the Holy Spirit. Look what they say. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, when will you uh, at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? <laughs> you know, here's, here's my uh, modern day paraphrase. Uh, when are you gonna make Israel great again, Jesus? I mean, when are you gonna get rid of these lousy Romans that have been occupying us, these people that we despise and look down on us and marginalize us? Like, when are you gonna get rid of them and allow us to be in charge for a little while? And, and think about this. Now, Jesus had spent three years with these men, pouring his life into them, teaching them about the mission of God, but maybe even more importantly, modeling to them what the mission of God looks like. So he was declaring the gospel. He was displaying the gospel. He was doing this with his disciples continually. And here in this final moment, they're thinking about themselves. They're like, hey, when are we gonna get to be in charge? When's Israel going to be restored and we're going to get to have a little authority again? They missed the entire point. And, and, and I'm afraid we do as well. We, we make this Christianity thing more about us than we do about kingdom advancement sometimes. You know, we make church more about what we enjoy about it and what we get out of it than we do the fact that the church exists to fulfill the mission of God. We, we get more excited a lot of times about what happens inside the four walls of this building than what we get to do when we leave the four walls of this building. And one of the ways I know that is because I look at the priorities of our lives and I'm putting myself in the same boat as all of us, that we could just need to look at where we spend our time, where we spend our money, where we invest our relationships. And in most cases, let me say this, in most cases, we're inwardly focused. We like to stay in our Christian bubble. We like to stay around people that think like us, that live like us, that value the same things that we value, that vote like us. I mean, we really do, don't we? Because it's comfortable for us. 
And I get that. And I'm the same way. I really am. But God's not called us just to live in this comfortable Christian bubble. No, God's called us to go outside the walls of this church and engage a lost world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm afraid in this text, we see the disciples, they're just making it about themselves and they're missing the whole point of the mission of God. You see, when the mission of God becomes a priority in our lives, we'll begin to build intentional relationships with our lost neighbors and our unchurched uh, coworkers. We'll begin to care about those that are hurting in our community and seek ways to reach out to them. We'll begin to care that there are over 3 billion who have little or no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we'll begin to leverage our lives by giving and praying and going so that we can reach these people with the good news of Jesus Christ. It will alter our priorities when we begin to really get the mission of God. But if we don't, if we don't get it, we'll make things about ourselves. Look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. It's one of my favorite texts in the Gospels because it really does show you the heart and the mission of Jesus on clear display. It says that Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Stop right there for a moment. You, you see the heart of Jesus vividly displayed here. He, he sees people, people that God created in his image, people that God loves and people that Jesus would die for. And what is Jesus' response? You dirty sinners, you sorry folks, you just need to repent and get right. No, the Bible says that he was filled with compassion for them. His heart physically ached for their condition, both physically and spiritually. And what does Jesus tell his disciples in that moment? He says, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus is reminding his disciples again in this moment, it's about the harvest, guys. God loves people. It's about the harvest. Pray, be involved in the harvest. And that's God's word for us as well. Let's don't make church about us. I heard this quoted one time, and I don't know who said it, but I I really like this, that the church is the only organization where its members don't exist for their own benefit. We exist for the benefit of those out there. Like God's gathered us together. He saved us, right? He's changed our lives. He's put his spirit in us. He's given us fellowship with one another. But God doesn't want us to leave it there. He's done that so that now we can go out and advance his kingdom by declaring and displaying the gospel to the community and to the world. I would say this, a church that is not actively engaged in the mission of God is not a New Testament church, period. It's not because that's the very reason the church exists. So let's look at the next truth there. 
So we see the mindset of the mission. Let's look at the means of the mission. It's not enough just to think rightly and prioritize our lives around the mission of God. We need the right means to fulfill the mission. And in verse eight, Jesus tells us the means by which we're able to fulfill it. Very blunt. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Here's the truth. You and I will never have an impact, a gospel impact into the loss that are around us or the loss around this world unless we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's the point. You can't fulfill the mission of God without God. <laughs> you can't. Jesus said it this way in John 5, 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. And you know what? One of the things that um, being in ministry for a long time is that you, you can have a Bible study and gather a pretty good crowd, right? You can have a worship service and gather a pretty good crowd. But if we say, hey, we're going to have an evangelism night and we're going to go knock on doors, that crowd shrinks really fast. Have you ever noticed that? It just does. Why? Because sharing our faith kind of makes us a little nervous. It's kind of a scary enterprise to go out and talk to people about Jesus and have those gospel conversations. And one of the reasons for that is that we just feel inadequate. Okay, it's, I'm not, it's not a judgment. This is just simply an honest confession that sometimes I just feel like maybe I don't know enough or I don't know enough scripture or you know, how to start a conversation, those kinds. Of, we just feel inadequate. You ever feel inadequate when it comes to sharing your faith? You ever feel inadequate when it comes to engaging unchurched people and lost people with the gospel? How many of you would say, yeah, there's times I feel inadequate? Good, because <laughs> you are. You are, I am. And that's why God's given us himself. That's why God's given us the Holy Spirit. And I, and I had to learn this lesson the hard way. I'm really thankful that I was saved in a church that took evangelism training and evangelism really seriously. I got saved when I was 16. And one of the first things that my youth pastor took me through was evangelism explosion. Anybody ever been through EE? There's a few EE folks out there. Yeah, cool. My, my youth pastor took me through evangelism explosion and we would go out and share, knock on doors and share our faith and those kinds of things. Well, I remember a buddy of mine one time, we were at a, we were at a camp, a youth camp, and uh, we were being challenged to be uh, serious about evangelism and share our faith. And um, on the way home, we're like, man, first place we stop, we're going we're gonna to share Jesus with somebody. You know, we were just determined, like, we're just, we're just going to do this. We weren't really thinking like, okay, Lord, we need you. It was just more like, we're doing it. And I remember we stopped at this convenience store off the interstate on the way back from camp back to our home. And, uh, and so the stakeout began. I go into the... the uh, the convenience store. I had my tract ready and the girl was working behind the counter. And I, they had taught us at this camp, like, okay, put your name and number on the track so that if someone takes it and makes a decision or has more questions, they can contact you. I was like, that's cool. So I did all that. So I'm just kind of waiting around over by the candy store uh, aisle, waiting for the cash register to clear out because I didn't want to make it awkward with people in line. So I'm just kind of hanging out. Well, Finally, the customer leaves and I go up to this girl and I'm like, um, I, I don't know if you uh, have a relationship with Jesus, but, but here's my name and number, call me sometime. And I walked out the door. It was so awkward. I remember getting in the car just thinking, oh man, I mean, she's probably gonna go to hell because of me. Just thinking that was like the worst gospel encounter in the history of the world. 
And it probably was, honestly. But looking back on that, I think, you know, my intentions might have been good, right? I mean, I wanted to tell somebody about Jesus, but I wasn't really depending on the Lord. I wasn't in that position of saying, Lord, I just need you to help me. I need you to speak through me. I need you to give me wisdom and discernment of how to engage this person and really care about them. I wasn't doing any of that. I was just doing it in my own power. You really want to mess it up. Do it in your own power. You'll mess things up. But, but if you go into a relationship with non-believers and you're saying, Lord, I just need you to be you through me. Like, I just need that. And that's why the Holy Spirit's come. He's come to fill us. Like, we get God when the Holy Spirit comes to indwell in us, right? And he empowers us. And the Bible tells us that he gives us the words to say. He gives us the thoughts that we need to be able to engage someone. He gives us the ability to love people the way Jesus loves them. I mean, these are the things that the Holy Spirit does as we trust in him and he works through us. The reason I share these things is it's like, that's the means by which we accomplish the mission. It's God in us, God with us accomplishing his mission. So if you've got a non-believing coworker that you're just like, I don't know what to do with them. An unchurched neighbor that you're just like, I don't know how to, Ask the Lord. He knows them. He made them. He loves them. He cares about them. Start saying, Lord, help me to begin to take steps to engage with them, to have conversations with them, to talk to them about you. I believe God will give you those opportunities as you trust in him, the spirit that dwells in you. So we got to have the right mindset. We got to have the right means being the Holy Spirit but we also need to have the right method for the mission. And in Acts 1.8, we see exactly what that method is. Look back at it. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts 1.8 is the outline of the book of Acts. That's exactly what Acts 1-8 is. We see the gospel literally going from Jerusalem into Judea, into Samaria in Acts 8, and ultimately going to the ends of the earth. In that case, it was Rome in, in the book of Acts. But this is exactly what's going on. The gospel was never intended simply to stay in Jerusalem. And aren't you thankful that it didn't? Because had the gospel stayed in Jerusalem, you wouldn't be following Jesus in Bogart, Georgia tonight. Have you ever stopped to think about that? If it weren't for faithful witnesses of Christ, you and I would not be sitting in North America following Jesus. For centuries, men and women took the mission of God so seriously that they left their homes, they went to new places, they made disciples, and now guess who gets to be the beneficiaries of that? You and me. Isn't that amazing? All because they took the mission of God seriously. And the point of that is this, is that the gospel is meant to be advanced. It's never meant to stay stagnant. Look at Colossians chapter one and verses three through six. 
Paul speaking to the church in Colossae here, and he says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and your love you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So he's praising God for these believers in Colossae. And look what he says next. Of this you heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. In other words, the reason you're saved is because you heard the gospel, which has come to you as indeed the whole world, as it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. What Paul's saying there is that the gospel is advancing in your life, but it's also advancing in the world. And that's exactly what it's intended to do. The gospel is never meant just to be for our own benefit, for our own community. It is meant to advance through the entire world. So the gospel message is meant to be shared with everyone. David Platt made this statement. He said, every saved person this side of heaven owes the gospel to every lost person this side of hell. That's a great statement. Let me read it again. Every saved person this side of heaven, that's us, owes the gospel to every lost person this side of hell. So what I wanna do is spend the remainder of our time talking about how God has called us at Prince to make sure that the gospel gets to every lost person. Because God's given us a part and a role to fulfill in the great commission that we see in the book of Acts and we need to fulfill it. Let me make a, an observation here though about Acts 1-8 very quickly. I, I think we make the mistake of interpreting Acts 1-8 wrongly. Um, I've heard people say, and they've said it to me before, you know, before we start going overseas and doing missions, we need to be doing missions in our own community. And, and they'll use Acts 1-8 as a reason for that. Like, okay, we're to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, which is, right, seems sequential in nature. But look at Acts 1-8 with me for just a moment. It's not sequential. Paul does our, uh, Luke does not say and, Jesus does not say and, or, or, or then, he says and, notice. He says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. He doesn't say Jerusalem, then Judea, Judea, then Samaria, Samaria, then the ends of the earth. It's and, and, and. So, Acts 1.8 is not to be understood sequentially, but simultaneously. Not sequentially, but simultaneously. The mission of God needs to be taking place right here, but it also needs to be taking place over there all at the same time. God's called us as a church to be engaged right here in our own community, but also among the unreached on the other side of the world. So let's talk about this for just a moment. Let's talk about how we as the Prince family are to be involved in reaching the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. First, we engage our community with the gospel. Um, 
I don't think it takes a lot of effort to see that there is a growing unchurched population in our own community. Yesterday, I uh, texted our director of missions for Sarepta Baptist Association. That's our local association that Prince Avenue is a part of. And I asked Lex Bowen, I said, Lex, what is the percentage of unchurched in our area? And this is what he told me. He said, I can't give you for the entire area, but I can tell you athens Clark County is 89% unchurched. 89% of athens Clark County does not claim any regular affiliation with a local church. That's stunning to me. That, that, that's burdensome to me to think that 90% of a neighboring county that I live in personally is unchurched. D- does that... Does that bother us? Does that concern us? Does that call us to say, we need to be doing something about that? We can't just be passive. We've got to be engaged. We've got to do something about reaching our own community. It needs to burden us. It needs to convict us. But what are some ways that we can be involved? Let me give you a couple of different things. One of them is a little more on the personal side, Okay things that you can do to begin to engage the community with the gospel. And it starts in your own neighborhood. You've got to get to know your unchurched neighbors. You just have to. I mean, you've got to begin to take those steps to get to know them. Karen and I went to a Halloween party in our neighborhood on Halloween night and got to know several of our unchurched neighbors. Some of them live very different lifestyles than we do. I'm talking about same-sex couples were there, um, people that just live a completely, but you know what? It was, a, it was fun. We had a great time getting to know them. Got to have a conversation with one lady, invite her to church. It was such a cool night just to get to know our neighbors. But God put us in that neighborhood to be his witnesses and ambassadors. And God's put you in your neighborhood to do the same thing. What about your job. How many of you have coworkers that are lost or unchurched? Let me see your hands. You have coworkers. Guess what? God's put you in that job, not just to make a paycheck or earn a paycheck, but to be Christ's ambassador, to be on mission with him right there in that. Think about this. What if, what if you asked a coworker to go to lunch with you one day and you shared your story? Talk to them about how Jesus has changed your life. God's given us opportunities to do that. Think about when you go into a restaurant. I love, I love going to breakfast with Jonathan Sturzbach. Every time Jonathan and I go to Waffle House, it's the restaurant of choice, Jonathan always asks the waitress, how can we pray for you? And he'll say, Sky's one of my pastors and he's going to pray for you. And then we just, there's been several times we've had gospel conversations right there in Waffle House. I love that. It's just a matter of having the eyes to see that God's put lost people all around us and he's given us opportunities to engage with them. Another thought, coach a rec team and get to know the parents on that rec team. What a mission opportunity that is with unchurched people. Invite someone to church. That seems so simple and basic, but it's amazing if you'll just take that step to invite someone that's unchurched to come to church they may actually come. And you know, if they come here, they're gonna hear the gospel. So take 
Active steps, engage. It may seem basic, but God's put people in your sphere of influence for a reason. But not only that, another way that we engage our community is through our local partnerships. God has called us as Prince Avenue Baptist Church to be involved in a lot of different ministries in our community where we show mercy and care and we share the gospel. Look at this handout that you got. Just on the first page on the inside, it says local partnerships. I'm not gonna go through every single one of them, but let me just highlight a couple of things. Right here in our own community, we have Acts Food Bank, area churches together serving. Man, there's such a need for food, especially this time of year and especially during the pandemic, there's just been a tremendous need. I'm so thankful for Donnie Brown and Ree Brown over here who helped coordinate that ministry. Every month we have volunteers that go serve over at Acts sorting food. Yeah, we take up regular uh, donations about once a quarter here at Prince, but you have the opportunity to go serve. Atlanta Mission, a thrift store. Um, Barry and Margaret Shettle and Sarah Milner go there every Friday and they volunteer. Well, you know what that ministry, it's not just a thrift store. That thrift store uh, is taking people that are, uh, have been abusing drugs and alcohol and gives them an opportunity to, to work and get back on their feet and hear the gospel. It's a great opportunity and they are in need of mentors. That's something you could get involved in. My wife is coordinating that ministry. The Athens Pregnancy Center, Bigger Vision Homeless Shelter. We have community groups once a month that take a meal to Bigger Vision Homeless Shelter. That's something that you can do as well. You could do that with your family. Um, the Great Exchange. Some of you have participated in the Great Exchange. We host those on a regular basis at the University of Georgia and uh, North Georgia University. And we go and we just do evangelistic surveys. And you know, college students are walking through Tate Plaza at UGA. And we just say, hey, you got a minute to take a survey? Guess what? A lot of them do. They stop and they'll have gospel conversations with you. It's amazing. Doug Nix has been out there. You know, it's amazing. It's so easy just to sit and do a survey and talk to someone about Jesus. Craven's been out there with us. So that, these are just simple ways that you can be involved. Mercy Health, Sparrow's Nest, the Gideon Ministry. Talk to Russ Weaver. He'd love to talk to you about how to be involved in the Gideon. Chosen for Life Ministries. Uh, this is a ministry that helps put together care teams for those that are fostering. We have several families in our church that are fostering. And did you know that, that families that foster, that have care teams around them are way more likely to make it long-term as foster parents than those that don't. We have the opportunity to be part of care teams. Um, construction ministry, Mary and Ivy, we, during Prince Cares, uh, his team was involved in building a ramp for a lady that was disabled. And man, it was just such a blessing to her, wasn't it? Marion, just to see her have access to her home in a way that she didn't before. Um, so there's just so many ways that we can be involved locally in displaying and declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these are things that you can do individually. These are things that you can do as a community group, as a family, but just do something God's called us to be engaged in our Jerusalem. And yeah, we do that personally as we share the gospel with people in our spheres of influence, but we do it through our partners as well. So let me encourage you to do that. Not only do we reach our community, we must reach our nation with the gospel. Samaria represents here people of similar ethnicity, but different spiritually and culturally. 
According to a recent Gallup poll, some 195 million Americans are unchurched and it's growing every year. It's growing every year. But God through Prince Avenue has given us the opportunity to be involved in planting new churches. The place that we're involved in right now is Boston, Massachusetts. I want you to look at this picture on the screen. Several years ago, we had the opportunity to help plant Kings Hill Church. They're two years old. Several of you have been on a mission trip to Boston with us. During COVID, they've been meeting outside. Now, they've, as a couple weeks ago, moved to the Boston Marriott Copley to have worship because it's a little bit cold in Boston, as you can imagine. But this is Kings Hill Church. Look at the next slide. They're reaching people and baptizing them. Um, and lives are being changed. Kings Hill Church is in one of the most diverse parts of Boston, a place called Mission Hill. And um, in fact, one of the church planters in the Boston area several years ago when I was up there said, Kings, uh, Mission Hill is the place where church planters go to die because it's hard to plant churches there. But as you see, God's working. This church is two years old, and even in the midst of a pandemic, they are thriving. In fact, uh, Jonathan Mosley, who's our church planner there, you see his picture on our missionary list. I had coffee with him in Athens on Friday. He was in town, got the chance to catch up with him a little bit. And he was just telling me so many stories of what God's doing in Boston. And Lord willing, we're going to be able to go back up there this summer and take the gospel and share with people as we go. So... So exciting what God's doing, but it doesn't stop with our nation. We got to reach the nations with the gospel. This is where the ends of the earth come in. Did you know there are now 7.8 billion people that call earth home? That's staggering to me. Almost 8 billion people that occupy this planet. 3 billion of them live in places where there are, is little or no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We call these the unreached. And let me make a distinction. Someone actually brought this up in the office today. What's the difference between unevangelized and unreached? Unevangelized means they just haven't heard the gospel. That may be your next door neighbor. That may be someone that you work with. They're unevangelized, but they're not unreached. Why? Because they have access to the gospel. You're there. <laughs> we have churches in our community. We have Bibles in their language. They have access to the gospel. The unreached, on the other hand, don't have that access. There may not be believers among those people. There may not be a Bible among those people. Less than 2% of those people uh, are confessing Christians. And so we categorize them as the unreached. And missiologists tell us that there are some 3 billion of them. Think about that. Three billion people on planet earth that many will be born, live their entire lives and die. And listen, never even once hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Never. And in some cases, they may be born, live their entire lives and die and never even meet a Christian. That, that ought to bother us to a deep, deep level. Platt, David Platt said, may even the concept of, un, of the unreached be intolerable to us. So what can we do? I'm gonna take the last five minutes and tell you what we can do. We can pray. We can pray for the unreached. On your sheet there, under live this, it says pray for an unreached people group daily. You can go to Joshua Project 
And every day they have a different unreached people group that you can pray for. Let me encourage you to do that. I have the app on my phone. And every night at nine o'clock, that app gives me an alert of the unreached people group to pray for for that day. Super easy. Just pray for the unreached. God cares about the unreached. And we know that they're going to be reached because there are gonna be people from every nation, tribe and tongue around the throne of God, right? So let's pray that they would be reached. Another way that we can pray is to take this list of our missionaries that you see in this prayer guide. And let me just challenge you, pray for your missionaries. Maybe this is something that you'll do as you go through your quiet time or the Advent guide that you're doing, but just pray for our missionaries every single day. They desperately need it. And then another thing that you can do to reach the nations with the gospel is to give. Give to our global mission offering, $400,000. We need to give. Now, Josh says that God doesn't need the money and God doesn't need the money, but our missionaries do. (laughs) They really do. They need that money to live on. They need that money to buy Bibles with. They need money to use for ministry. And so let's give generously. Let's blow the global mission offering out of the water. Right now we're at about $200,000 of our $400,000 goal. Let's blow it out of the water. We did last year. Let's do it again this year. Let's give to global missions. A third thing that you can do is welcome. Welcome the nations that have come to our community. Invite an international student into your home for Christmas, for a meal. Just get to know them. And then finally, go on mission through Prince Avenue. During this season, we've been doing virtual mission trips. Several, how many of you have done one of our virtual mission trips? They've been amazing. It's been so cool to see what God's doing to meet our missionaries. We're gonna be doing another one to the Middle East in January. Lord willing, in the spring, we're gonna start going again and we want you to go with us. In fact, we're so committed to sending people on short-term missions that we've made it possible for you to go and the church to provide 50% of the cost of the trip for Prince Partners. That's pretty cool to me. We really put our money where our mouth is in that regard. We want you going on mission with Prince Avenue. So pray, give, welcome, go. Just make it your ambition, listen, to take the next step into God's mission. We all have a role to play. Just take the next step, pray. That's a simple next step, right? Give, that's a simple next step. Welcome, that's a little more challenging, but it's still exciting and go, take the next step. Listen, I say this all the time and I really believe it. You're never more alive than when you're on mission with God. Let me tell you a little bit about Sakiko. How many of you were here a couple of years ago when we did our big baptism day? How many of you were here that day? Do you remember the Japanese girl, Sakiko, that was here that day and was baptized? Let me tell you a little bit about her story in the last three minutes that I have. Sakiko came to UGA as an exchange student. Some of our college students met Sakiko at a a gathering on campus, like the International Coffee Hour, and they befriended her. Sakiko was not interested in spiritual things whatsoever. But over the course of about seven months, they began to spend time with Sakiko on a regular basis. They'd go get coffee with her. They would invite her to get togethers in their homes. They would go to lunch with her. They just got to know her and befriend her. Then they started saying, Sakiko, would you like to study the Bible with us? And Sakiko was like, yeah, I'll study the Bible with you. 
And then they were like, Sikiko, would you like to come to church with us? And Sikiko started coming to Prince. And this was after like a couple of months of this group of college students just befriending her. And over the course of the next several months, Sikiko kept hearing the gospel over and over and over again. And I'll never forget one day, Karen and I were sitting with Sikiko at the Tate Student Center after International Coffee Hour. And several people had shared the gospel with her. And I said, Sikiko, if, if this is where, you know, like the beginning point of like, you don't know Jesus, you don't care about Jesus, and this is what it means to follow Jesus, where are you in this process? She said, here's why I would describe it. She said, if being a Christian is being married to Jesus, I'm dating Jesus. That's what she said. I was like, that's awesome. Like, you really get where you are in this process. About a month later was that mass baptism day. And I was standing up here as an altar counselor that morning. And Sikiko walked up to me. And she said, I'm ready to follow Jesus. And so we went back to the back. And she said, I'm ready to marry Jesus. Sikiko gave her life to Christ that morning and was baptized. One of the most amazing days of my entire life. Well, last year, in fact, last year, next week, we were in Tokyo, Japan. Sakiko had already gone back to Japan and was living there. Show this picture. This is Sakiko and Michael and Yumi Creed, who are missionaries there. This is in Tokyo a year ago. Sakiko said, I've learned the three circles evangelism uh, method, and I want to share it this week. I mean, here's this Japanese girl. I hadn't even been a Christian for a year. And she's like, I want to share my faith. On a sidewalk in Tokyo, Japan, she shared the gospel in Japanese with other Japanese that were walking by. She came up to me and she said, I got to share the gospel. I got to share the gospel. I got to share the gospel. Amazing. Only God could do that. But let me tell you how God did it. God did it through two or three college students that said, we want, to, we want to build a relationship with Sikiko. We want to get to know Sikiko. We want to love on Sikiko. We want to share the gospel with Sikiko. And now Sikiko is living back in Japan, evangelizing her own people. Isn't God good? I mean, that is exciting. If that doesn't get you fired up, your wood's wet. I'm just selling right now. So let me just encourage you as we wrap up, take the next step. Pray, give, welcome, go but do the next thing. And that's why we've made this available to you tonight, just to have these resources of where Prince is involved. And I'm excited. I believe God's gonna do great things next year. Let's pray for an end of COVID, really, so that we can start going again and engaging unreached peoples with the good news of Jesus. Let's pray and we'll be done. Father, thank you so much for our time together. Thank you for the good things that you've done here at Prince. Thank you for the good things that you're doing and the things that you're going to do. Help us, Father, now as your people, to take the next step. Show us what that looks like for us individually, what we need to do to be involved in your mission of getting the gospel around the world. We pray this in Jesus' name.